Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. And I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. If you love a teen rom-com as much as I do, you are going to love Netflix's new movie, Along for the Ride, and its star, Emma Passero, who joins me today. Along for the Ride, which is based on the book by the author of To All the Boys I Loved Before, follows Emma's character, Arden, who in the summer before college meets the dreamy yet mysterious Eli, and he's well fit. The two insomniacs bond during nighttime excursions, and Arden not only finds her man, but herself too. It's beyond cute, and so is Emma. Today, we celebrate this rising star because we love to support future queens on this podcast as Emma talks about the wild circumstances that led to her jetting off to film along for the ride her first movie role. Can you believe it? Emma also tells me about her journey with social anxiety, learning to say no, working on boundaries, and how journaling has helped her process her mental health. Emma's thoughts and how writing things down really has inspired me to take it up to. And it was amazing to hear her talk so openly and honestly about the struggles she's overcome. I hope this episode helps you in the tougher moments you might face as well. So crowns at the ready. Let's rain. Hello, babe. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) I'm so happy for you to be here because, babe, like, along for the ride, babes, I loved it. Like, I'm, like, such a big fan (laughs) of teen movies, especially, like, this, like, coming-of-age genre. Like, it must have been such a great gift to get this movie. How did it all come about? How did you win this role? Let's take it back to step one. What happened? How did it all come about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love I I love talking about this because I still part of my brain thinks it didn't happen. Like I feel like this mm-hmm. couldn't have been real. This is a yeah. dream come true situation. But it was really there's a lot it, it was wild. So I I auditioned for it in a January of 20 2021 that was last year and I had a director's <laughs> meeting later in the month and then the I don't know time clocks um but I had a director's meeting later in the month and then the audition it just disappeared and I think I didn't hear back so I kind of moved on with my life and then a couple months later I got a call from my team being like hey and it was a Friday night and they were like hey are you busy and I was like "Mm." I think I was (laughs) out with I was with my friends and they were like so this thing you auditioned for it's coming back so get ready you might have to do another callback and so I was like very excited thrilled yeah and um and then they called me back a couple minutes later, like, so I know we said it's coming back, but it's actually faster than you think. Like, you have a meeting with the director in 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, so sweaty. Yeah. And so I had time to go home and shower and not even review the script. And so they were like, so you have this meeting with the director, and then we're going to email you some pages because your callback is tomorrow morning. And here, so here's 13 pages. Um, and they were like, and also, so after your meeting, you have to get a COVID test. And I was like, 
that's well if the meeting's on zoom it was all zoom so i was like why do i have to get a covid test they're like well because if you get it you're leaving sunday morning and this was friday no, you're joking and so i was like you're oh my kidding god me. oh yeah this is real this is real and so there's a part of me that i feel like i like that just like clicked and i was like all right i'm in the zone i gotta do this i've been training for this and so i got yeah. into this like it could have been pan it was a mix of panic and focus and like just do it so i had the meeting um, and it went so well. Fia, the director, is just the most lovely, smart, incredible human in the whole world. And we really clicked. And the next morning I had the call back. And then I was waiting all day. And they called me and they were like, okay, we don't know if you got it, but we have to. you need to do it again. Now you have to do a chemistry read. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> and so did it. Um, and then ultimately, by the end of the day, I didn't think I had it because they never called me saying I got the part. And it was Saturday. And if I was going to leave on Sunday, I assumed I would find out the day mm. before. Um, and so at the time, I was juggling a bunch of day jobs, one of which was Hebrew school on Sunday mornings. And so I woke up really early Sunday because I was like, well, didn't get the part. So I have to make my lesson plan that I haven't started yet. And fortunately, I woke up woke up really early to the lesson plan because they called me at like 7 a.m. being like, you got the part. And I was sobbing, called my family. And they were like, and you have to get on a plane in like three hours. And so I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I, I called my, my family crying. My mom, my, I'm from Los Angeles and I live here. So my family, fortunately, could come to my apartment. We just threw everything I owned into a suitcase. And then I called my family first. And the second person I called was my rabbi, basically to be like, Rabbi Amy, um, I quit my job because I got this part. And she was so happy with that. <laughs> and, yeah, and so then I got on a plane. And it was, it was the most surreal experience ever but I think because this has been a dream for my whole life the fanfare of it all the the how fast it was it felt like it perfectly paralleled my excitement for what was going yeah. on so it was kind of perfect in the end talk about putting the ride into a long for the ride babe do you know what I mean <laughs> I it's like I got on the plane and I was like okay now I need to review the script again because it's been so much time yeah mm-hmm. it was very surreal but I felt so fortunate that Fia was the director and everyone there was so incredible and kind and patient and uh so I I immediately once I was there I felt so taken care of so I was very lucky with that I think I love it well it's meant to be it's meant to be you must have had so much faith in yourself to actually step onto that set and not feel like an imposter in that situation right like how did you find that power to like step into that zone yeah well I think that's a really interesting and complicated question but a good one because I think about it a lot because while this has been my dream forever and in much smaller ways I feel like I've been working towards this forever be it in plays or short films with friends or my played reading group with friends you know constantly working on it I still felt like such an imposter and I still was so, so nervous because actually, wait, I'm going to read you something. Because there's this, uh, when I left, I was really having a major imposter syndrome moment, especially because of the timeline and it felt so quick. Mm. And my dad read me this quote that I wrote down. Can I read it to you? Oh my God, 100%. Okay. 
He said, because I feel like this, and, and I like kept it next to me the whole time when I really felt like an imposter. Um, it's a Bruce Springsteen quote, <laughs> which feels very my dad. Love it already. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is the quote. So you take those steps tenderly until you reach the chasm, then you jump, for there is no steadily inclining path to the big time. And I love that one because I think it it shows that like, you know, you can train, you can train, you can train, you can work as hard as you can, but then there is that leap that you have to take. And so showing up on set, I knew that I had worked hard and I was hoping that my training would back me up, but I still was like terrified. And so it required that jump. Um, and yeah, but, but the thing I think that also was really nice is um, once I was on set, you know, it, I was like, I don't, it felt like this big new thing because I'd never been on a movie set like this before. But once I was there in the scene, in the work, I was like, oh, wait, this is actually something I've done before. I may have never done it to this scale. I may have mm. never done it with these incredible people I grew up admiring. But the work itself is something that's very familiar to me and very comforting to me. And so it was sort of like figuring out how to, in my brain, shrink what was going on into just like what I had in front of me, which is something that you know, I've done since fifth grade and you're a good man, Charlie Brown in kindergarten or, you know, all of this stuff. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. That is such a special moment as well to also get that piece of advice from your dad and for that to be the thing that gave you the faith in yourself. Like that's such an amazing, such an amazing thing to take with you into the rest of your life now and any kind of situation you're ever in. Yeah, he's very, I feel very lucky to feel uh, so close and supported by my parents and my sister. Um, And he's very good at giving me little quotes that I kind of put in my notes app on my phone and I scroll through if I ever need a little extra. Um, Because I'm, you know, I I feel like this is all very new and very surreal. Um, Even talking to you, Josh, so surreal, so exciting. And I think I'm like constantly like, okay, what can I tell myself so I don't, freak out right now and get really overwhelmed because it's all very new but exciting Mm. and I think that's what's so special about the film as well because it is about this girl who's going and having these new experiences and I think that the part of the life that this film deals with which is this very weird time when you're kind of leaving school leaving behind your home life that you've known and you've lived in for so many years and then you're then going into this new environment of college forward slash university here and you're like who am I what am I doing this is so weird it's such a weird transition period in your life how weird was that time for you like let's take it back to your own experiences there like where were you who were you what were you going through mentally at that point in your life yeah that's a that was a really complicated time, as I'm sure it is for everybody. I So uh, summer between high school and college, I I went to university. And so it, I was kind of preparing, getting ready to leave my friends, uh, leave everything I knew. I was working a couple of day jobs that summer and I, I was doing a yogurt shop and babysitting. And it, But it really is this moment of you know, if you grow up with a certain group of people at school, um, I was, you're known in a certain way. And sort of that moment of like, okay, who do I want to be in this new environment where I can kind of create, or at least I, I feel like, you know, every year we become a new updated version of ourselves. 
and the history is no longer attached to us as we meet these new people. So I can say, who am I right now in this moment and how will I meet these new people? How will they see me in this new version of myself? But it's also a moment where I think I certainly had no idea who I was. I still am working on it. You know, we're ever evolving and redefining ourselves. And um, yeah, I think I think the when I think back to that time, I think the thing that I really um, struggled with a lot is that I'm I'm very introverted. I'm an extremely introverted person, and at the time, I didn't really even knew, know what that meant, and I didn't have the tools, therefore, to deal with it. And so I would often put myself in social situations where I would, you know, run out of energy because being introverted is, you know, you it, you give energy by being around people. And so I didn't know how to, like, properly take care of myself socially or in work environments so that I would always have energy, always be as friendly and wonderful as I could possibly be because I didn't have the language or the tools to deal with it. So I think at that time I was sort of like, you know, FOMO, all of this stuff, trying to experience everything I possibly could, social anxiety, and didn't know exactly how to care for myself in the proper way. Mm, I think most people would probably look at me in my life and be like, you're an extrovert. But actually, there's been so many times in my life, like, especially when I was a teenager around that time, when I was like, I had so much social anxiety. Like, anytime I was going out or going to see my friends, I was like, right, I've got to psych myself up for this. Or I'd literally be like, oh, it's too much for me to actually cope with today and I'm just going to bail. And it's actually very hard to find the way to work through that, but also to find the language to also express it in the way that you actually feel inside, right? Absolutely. Oh, completely. Because I think that at least my relationship to being introverted, it's not that I don't love people as I know that mm. you love people. Like, we, I love being around people. I love being with friends. I love being in groups. It's just a matter of, like you said, finding the language and understanding it so I can say to myself, okay, if I'm going to have a night out with my friends, be hyper social, love every second of it, I probably know that the next day I need some alone time to kind of recharge and uh, just like recalibrate with myself, breathe, you know, do just read anything that just can like kind of help me regain my <laughs> social strength of sorts. Mm. Um and yeah, so I think it just takes, yeah, uh, learning what that, what that process is like so that I can keep being social and, and then it helps mitigate social anxiety because I know how to, um, take care of myself in that situation. Mm, 100%. And I think that really feeds into one of the themes of the film, which is when you are trying to be something other than yourself it's actually not a very healthy thing to be or to try to do. And I think that there's so many times, like I'm even thinking back to my own life where I've desperately tried to be a different person. And like, that is such a, like, not constructive thing to do, right? And I think we can all resonate with that at different times. Like, have you ever tried to like, try and be someone else and really struggle to grapple with that idea of trying to be something to fit into a box? Oh, yeah. I, well, I think I I am definitely, and I'm working on it, but I'm definitely a people pleaser. And Mm. that will lead me to try to, you know, fit into whatever I see an environment and I try to fit myself to it versus uh, being like, this is who I am and figure out what groups of people then would gravitate towards me. Um, Here's another quote from my dad. 
he always says you can't be everything to everyone and I love that because it's sort of it's just saying like these are my limits this is who I am and this isn't to say we can't grow and we can't evolve but you know you don't have to change yourself you don't have to bend and break in order to accommodate other people um and I think yeah I I think Auden's journey in the movie well what's interesting about Auden is I think that she um coming from a place of fear holds so tight to what she knows to be true and is actually afraid to change and like might go at the beginning in the opposite direction uh you know has a lot of preconceived notions about uh who she is and who she's not and thinks of the world in a very binary way uh and it isn't until she moves to Colby where she meets all of these multifaceted women who you know ride BMX bikes and they work at Clementines. They go to Ivy League schools and they like hanging out with friends. But she's like, oh, wait a second. We can be all of these versions of ourselves at the same time. We're all very complicated, multifaceted. Um, and she also learns boundaries, how to say, I I need this for myself. I can't take care of this, be my, be my uh, half-sibling you know, being able to create boundaries with her parents who are asking a lot of her. Um, yeah. Boundaries is one of the hardest things <laughs> to master, in my personal opinion. Like, I've, me and boundaries are just totally. not friends. Like, I can't, like, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm only getting to this point in my life now when I'm like, okay, boundaries are a healthy thing. Saying no is a oh, healthy yeah. thing. And no can just be a full <laughs> sentence. It doesn't have to have an excuse straight after it. Because like, I'll be like, oh, no, I can't do that because of like, X million different reasons where I could just be like, oh, no, yeah. I can't. <laughs> it's so difficult to find boundaries in life, I think. It's so hard. I mean, I certainly struggle with that right now. I It's so hard. and But I think in the times when I've, I've been trying to say no, it's very empowering to mm. and to not feel like you have to justify it. You can just kindly know what you need, know what's asked of you, and then, you know, set the boundary. How have you learned to look after yourself and your mental health? And how do you think your relationship with your mental health has changed and developed too? I think... Change for me always, uh, you know, brings the the complicated underbelly feelings that I can kind of hide. It brings it to the surface, and so it's, mm. it really is a critical moment of addressing my um, my coping mechanisms and how I handle my mental health. So you are catching me right <laughs> as this is something I'm thinking about. Mm. Um, I have a couple of things that I always do that still help me. I'm a really big journaler, and I've journaled ever since I was. 11 and um it's taken a lot of forms and it I've done it in a lot of different ways over the years but I think now it's sort of just to vomit all of the thoughts swimming in my brain the feelings mm. swimming in my gut onto a page to sort of figure out a way to both uh to expel it from my body so it's no longer bubbling around but then also to be able to kind of uh, look at it outside of myself and read it back mm. because I think once I'm able to take the thought and look at it I can kind of 
do some, you know, checks on it. Like, okay, well, let's think about this thought. Where does it stem from? Is it rational? Is it emotional? You know, and I can analyze it if that's what I need in the moment. Um, so journaling is a really, is something that I really rely on. I also love the ritual of it. It's sort of like however long it takes to kind of step outside of regular time and just like mind or like free write is really useful to me. Mm. Um, and also walks. I'm really taking a lot of walks. In general, I think a lot of these um, things I'm trying to employ help me pause mm. and kind of recalibrate. Um, meditation, sitting meditation has always been hard for me. So I think this sort of writing meditation, walking meditation is really great. But yeah, I mean, I think in this moment of change, I, um, I am confronting my current coping mechanisms and I'm trying to employ new ones because I think there's a lot of anxiety, you know, anxiety is fear of the unknown. There's a lot unknown right now for me Mm. and which is beautiful and exciting but it's also scary and I'm currently trying to figure out also like how do I sit in this period of right before and how do mm. I feel comfortable not knowing what's next for someone who always plans and I, I'm someone who really likes structure and this is the least structured <laughs> moment of my life. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, okay, how do I find comfort in this discomfort and I don't mm. have an answer yet, but I am thinking a lot about it. And yeah. I think it's even just like sitting in that is useful, not pretending mm. it's not there. Yeah, I always think that it's actually so beneficial to sit in the feeling instead of fighting the feeling the whole time. Because I think if anyone goes mm-hmm. through anything in life, like, you know, it could be anything as extreme as grief, right? The way through to anxiety, even just to excitement or uh, happier feelings as well. Like it's sitting in those emotions that is the most important thing you should do in any given moment. Totally, because I think that there's something to be learned by acknowledging and sitting in it. Because all of these, all of these emotions are really useful. I think they are clues about what's going on around us. I think they're really important mm-hmm. to acknowledge. Um, they're clues. They're they're protective, and I think to to not acknowledge them is to kind of numb yourself, which is fair, but I think that there's something really beautiful about being like, okay, this is how I feel right now. And I'm still here. I'm still eating my cereal, whatever I'm doing. Um, and that's okay. But yeah, I know it's, it's, I think like you said, acknowledging it is, is really useful. Mm. And like, I always find writing things down so much better. So when you journal, like how often do you do it? Do you like every day? Like, and then do you ever look back at it in the future and go, oh my God, you <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're yeah. having a bit of a bad day that day, babe. <laughs> a bit of perspective was needed here. Yeah, I wish I could tell myself. It is so funny to, to look at the things that when I was 13 were the most important things in the world. And the people who I were like, they betrayed me. <laughs> and the people I was in love with. And my thoughts on myself, my thoughts on my body, my thoughts on on my dreams and I, I find a lot of perspective in looking back mm. because it's sort of like wow this mattered so much to me at this age so much so much so that I, I dedicated five entries to this one person or this one event 
and yet I barely remember it today. Or mm. I now look back and I think, wow, that's thank goodness this person didn't want to date me because that would not have been good. Whatever it was, I try to when I look back because I love it. It's very funny to see my thoughts at that time. But then I think about right now and when I'm journaling about something that's really upsetting me or I'm giving me a lot of anxiety, I think, okay, this is just another page in my diary. This is another volume in hopefully a much larger anthology of journals of my life. Um, and it'll be okay. It kind of it kind of just reminds, just like it's only a page in the diary. It's only a page in the mm. diary. It really helps me calm down and uh, make things smaller that feel too big and too overwhelming to think about. What do you think that practice has helped you process the most, would you say? I actually think it's really useful with anxiety Mm. because if anxiety is about the future and this really, this bubbling feeling in my belly um, of discomfort and like not knowing what's coming next and coming up with like a thousand different options of what could be next. Mm. When you look back and you can kind of track okay, this is what I was afraid of. This is what transpired. I'm on the other side of that and I'm okay. It's kind of like being like, okay, so the anxiety was useful because it allowed me to analytically think about what's coming next, prepare myself, maybe over-prepare, but still I was okay. And so I think it's a way to sort of uh, check my anxiety and remind myself that um, like all of these things that have happened in the past, the anxiety is useful insofar as it um, keeps me alert and helps me prepare, but it, it maybe was too much because it really was okay. And all of these, I can check back and be like, look at all of these life experiences that say that I didn't need anxiety to uh, rule my life in that moment. Mm, that is so true. And I love what you said earlier about everything that happens in life being a page or a, or a entry in your life, because I always remember this piece of advice I got given when I was working in Topshop, <laughs> like back in the day. Oh, and it was a girl, a girl who I worked with, and we were on the fitting room, and I was like talking about something. I think it was like a boy who'd like done me wrong. And she was like, Do you know what the thing is about life, Josh? And she was a bit older than me. She was like, Everything in life is transient, and how you feel right now is not how you're going to feel in a day or a week or a month or a year. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> And then it was this <laughs> it was an amazing piece of advice that I then took into every other part of my life because it's so true. Like your feelings on one day are not going to define your whole entire existence. Like it's just it's just totally. a pink on your whole identity. Oh yeah. And it and it's oh, I think it's beautiful that it changes. And mm. my your feelings my feelings about a given moment will change upon reflection, the moment before. It's it's all so transient. And I think it's finding comfort in the fact that things are ever moving, ever changing. Um, I even, this this was sort of like a piece of acting advice I got once from a teacher that I love that I think is really, I found really useful in acting, but also in life, is when you're starting a scene, you know, if, if you're supposed to cry, you're supposed to be happy, but, you know, sometimes personally you're not feeling that way. And the thing that she always said was, take it from where you are. And I love that. Because as a human, you know, all of the things that are bubbling inside are bubbling inside, no matter what the circumstances are. So all you can do is take it from where you are right in that moment. And for acting, that's really useful to not ignore the things going on 
rather mm. take it from where you are, use it, and keep going. And I think in life, this is true also. It's take it from where you are. Whatever um, is going on is okay. It's useful. You acknowledge it, and then you keep going. And I, I just always loved that. Oh, my God, I love that. Babe, you are so wise and philosophical. <laughs> what I love about what you said about all this advice is, is that all these little pockets of advice and wisdom that you pick up along the way and also the work you do on yourself can really inform your power and empower you. So even from negative situations, you can still find power. When do you, and this is what this podcast is all about really, is finding your power and being the queen of your own life and making it rain. So what do you think have been some turning oh, points yes. in you finding your power and also finding your voice crucially as well? Well, I think, I feel like what's also a theme of today is sort of acknowledging that I, I, I think I'm still in the process of finding mm. my power and I'm still in the process of figuring out what that'll look like. But certainly there have been moments like that. Um, I think actually a really large one came, it, as far as like career goes, mm. a really large one came in college. Um, I think I'm a people pleaser. I was always like a very type A person. My ac academics were very important to me. Studying was important. And I, I am unfortunately quite a perfectionist. Um, but what that also means is I like to, you know, do what I'm told and follow the rules. And with something like acting, um, I think for a while I just wanted to please and I wanted to do exactly what was asked of me. And when I got to college, uh, I was told that I would become a better actor if I tried taking a directing class. Um, and so I was like, great, that what, why not? That seems really cool. But it all of a sudden really scared me because as director, you know, you're the one having to mm. create the world, you know, build the environment, create the sandbox for other people to play in. And it requires a sort of voice that I don't think I had found inside of myself. And I remember telling my professor, like the first class, because she, she basically told us, she's like, all right, let's think through things we want to say. We'll look through plays that kind of grapple with those questions. And then we'll investigate the things that we have to say in our hearts through these plays. And I said to her, I was like, I don't have anything to say. I don't, I don't actually know. I need you to help me pick something because I don't, I don't. And it wasn't until I verbalized that, that I sort of questioned it. And I was like, wait a second. I, we all, everyone has something to say. Everyone has a story. Mm. And it wasn't until then being in the driver's seat in this directing class that I not only discovered I did have things to say, but I also felt like I could say them. And I learned the tools to say them creatively. And that was a really big moment for me because then when I started acting again, I, I sort of reframed it as not being the obedient um, like follower of a director, but rather I am a creator with things to say and opinions. I'm a collaborator inside of this greater project, even as an actor. And so that was like a really, really big moment of finding my voice. And then I actually think through that same thread, a big moment happened with Along for the Ride. Um, Auden is this lead character and I was on set every day. And I once again have the moment where it's like, well, I can't be on set every day. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, you know, all of the imposter things came up and it wasn't until Fia, the, our wonderful director, kind of was like, you got this. 
my family were like, you got this. And so I just did it. I faked it till I made, made it. How do you say it? Fake it till you make it. That's the way. That's the way. And well, so I kind of was like, okay, well, I am literally doing it. So I guess I can. And then watching Andy and Kate and Dermot, um, they had this amazing way of, you know, being incredible collaborators, listening, but also feeling empowered to speak up and say their opinions in a useful uh, collaborative way that I was like, oh wait, even in this really professional environment where all I want to do is do the right thing, I can still have a voice in the process. And it, and so watching these people I really admire do that, it's kind of like a really big turning point for me, I think, to once again check myself and my desire to just please and instead think, how do I both collaborate and also have opinions and I still think this is a process I'm thinking through because mm. I still am a perfectionist, even though I'm trying to, you know, fail out loud and not be embarrassed about it, have opinions, allow them to be wrong, um, or it's not right or wrong, just like, you know. Anyway, so I think this with that that whole through line is like a, has been a really big thread of finding my power. <laughs> what do you want to use your voice for? I think it's important, you know, for me to use my voice to um, speak truth, uh, uplift the people around me, uplift people who, because of systems, because of circumstance, don't have the ability to use their voice. I think it's important to use your voice to, you know, uh, point out injustice, to help and then I also think, uh, it kind of tying it back to what we were talking about earlier, it's using your voice and then the other side of the coin is knowing when to listen and knowing when to not and knowing when to, you know, I think it's really useful to sit back, observe, understand that maybe my voice has my, the limits of my life experience and my life experience is only mine. I think finding the balance also of just saying, actually... I don't know and I'm I'm don't know and I would love to listen and I'd love to yeah and take in what other people's experiences are I can't believe it's come to the end of the episode because I love talking to you so much and so much wisdom has come through today but we always end on one final question and that is in the reign of your life what is the one rule you'll always live by what is that rule Okay, I think I have one because I think it kind of encapsulates perhaps a lot of the things we talked about. Mm -hmm. I would say my one rule is to breathe. Mm. Because I think in moments of uncertainty and moments of anxiety and moments of listening, the best thing I find for myself is to take space. And breathing quite literally gives that space. Um it's kind of an excuse to pause before speaking for me. If I'm like breathing, I'm like, okay, let's think, let's listen. Um, and it's just also, I think breathing like connects me back to my body, literally. Mm. And in moments where I'm most anxious and pan- or panicking anything, I realize usually that I'm not breathing. <laughs> so just the <laughs> physical thing of it, it's, it's useful for me. Yeah, that's a fabulous one. And just thank you so much for joining Thank me and I so just can't much, wait Josh. to see what you do next oh I'm, this has just been the most lovely morning ever I'm so happy to talk to you mm-hmm. 
thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode. And if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going and I'll see you next time. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.